Is there a ghost in the house? My story is called The Man in the Chair. I have never been one for believing in ghosts. I've heard people tell of having seen them, but I've never thought much of their tales. To begin with, the ghosts didn't do anything interesting. And secondly, I was puzzled to understand the reason for the reappearance of some quite unremarkable old character in ghostly form. It all seemed a bit futile. My grandmother swore that her house was haunted. It had belonged to an old bachelor for years and Grandmother insisted that the old man's ghost walked about the house just as he had walked about it in life. She'd heard him shuffling down the passage to the kitchen, she said, and she'd heard him messing about with the pots and pans and banging the cupboard doors. I found myself wondering, what was the point of the old man's coming back as a ghost? Just to walk up and down a passage and make a clatter with a few saucepan lids? It was unenterprising, to say the least of it. I must say that I never saw or heard the ghost. And it wasn't through lack of trying. I sat in the kitchen night after night, waiting for a glimpse of Grandmother's pet apparition, but nary a thing did I see. And the irritating part of it all was that as soon as my back was turned, so to speak, Grandmother heard the ghost at it hard and strong. If I missed a night, the ghost was sure to play up. Well, this summer, I decided to go on a walking tour. I've never liked the idea of a planned holiday. I just felt like wandering about the country with no destination in mind and not knowing where I'd spend the next night. After about a week of this sort of thing, I found myself following the course of a river towards the end of a beautiful afternoon of sunshine, breeze and shower. The footpath along the bank led me to a white house standing at the top of a gentle rise and the house looked so snug and comfortable in its pretty garden that I was taken with a strong desire to spend the night within its walls. I wondered if I dare ask the owners for a night's lodging. They might receive my suggestion with very little enthusiasm, I thought. But then I spotted a weathered old board nailed to a tree near the garden gate on which was painted the word Teas. Well, well, if they serve teas, I thought... They might go even further and serve me with a supper. And after supper, they might find a bed for me. So I went into the garden and walked up the path to the front door, which stood open. A pleasant-looking countrywoman was sitting in an old rocking chair just inside the door, and I made known to her my wishes. She welcomed me with a smile and said, Yes, they kept a room for travellers. In fact, people sometimes spent a week with them, for it was a quiet place, and the scenery thereabouts was much admired. She would cook something wholesome and tasty for my supper, she said. There was nothing she enjoyed more than giving townsfolk a taste of real country food. And besides, her husband would soon be back from the fields, and he'd be hungry. This was hospitality indeed. No wonder people stayed at the white cottage for a week at a time. And indeed, after my supper, and an excellent night's sleep in a feather bed between sheets that smelt of lavender. I was in no hurry to resume my wanderings. I asked the good lady at breakfast if I might stay on for two or three days. 
and she smiled in a knowing way, as if my request was no surprise to her. Of course, she said. There was a boat I could use if I wished. It was moored at the bottom of the garden, and there was a summer house overlooking the river. People liked to sit in it and do nothing, she said. It was very restful. Restful it was. The birds sang in the grove of trees that encircled the summer house and flitted from tree to bush and bush to tree. Brightly coloured insects droned past the open windows, and the lapping of the water in the reeds lulled me into a doze within half an hour of my sitting down in a huge old cane chair full of patchwork cushions. When I awoke, I found that it was almost noon, and I found too that I was not alone in the summer house. There was a child in the room, a girl of about seven or eight years of age, who was sitting on a stool not more than a few feet from me. Her head was bent over a piece of needlework, and the sunbeams danced in her light brown hair. Good morning, I said. The child gravely lifted her head. And said, "I hope I didn't wake you up." Oh no, I said. I'm quite ashamed of myself sleeping on a beautiful morning like this, and after a good night's rest too. You're very busy. Why don't you sit over there in the other big chair? I'm sure you'd find it easier to sew in the chair than on that footstool. Aren't you uncomfortable? No, she said. I'm all right. And besides, that's the major's chair. The major said I. Oh, I, I haven't met the major. Does he come for walks this way and rest in the summer house? The child's face was serious. He doesn't come for walks, she said, because he's dead. This was so unexpected that my face must have shown bewilderment. For the child went on, "You mustn't mind him. He won't do you any harm. He just likes to sit here. I've often seen him." How can that be? If you say that he's dead, I don't know," said the child. "I don't know how it can be, but he does sit here because I've seen him." There was no answer to this, so I said nothing. Presently, the child folded her needlework, got to her feet, and walked to the door. "I shan't be long," she said, and then she was through the door with one of those. Quick movements which children make when they are eager to be off doing something else, and I heard the sound of her little feet on the path of bricks which led to the back of the house. Strange might of a child, I thought, a strange waif indeed. And I found myself looking at the other old chair in the room with a new interest because of what she had said about the major. It was certainly a very old chair, older than the one in which I was sitting. And yet, somehow, it looked as if someone had recently been sitting in it. Who was this major? What on earth had the child been getting at? That's the major's chair. He doesn't come for walks because he's dead. But he likes to sit here. I closed my eyes. The sound of the lapping of the water below the window sill was setting my head a nodding again. In a couple of moments, I'd have been off in another doze. When something opened my eyes, my fingers gripped the arms of the chair, and I felt a tingling in the palms of my hands. My body was suddenly rigid, my senses all alert. 
There was no doubt whatever of the fact that the other chair was now occupied. And not by any insubstantial form. No ghostly wraith was this, no transparency, no apparition. Here was a solid shape, a creature of flesh and blood, a man. I was too astonished to reason with myself as to how the man had got himself into the chair without entering the room by the door. I sat motionless, taking in the details of his appearance. A grizzled head lay back on the cushions of the chair, and the eyes in that head were staring out at the blue sky and the fluffy white clouds that floated above the trees. There was an expression of peace and contentment on the features of the old man, and as I watched him, the breeze ruffled his side whiskers and caught a stray wisp of hair that fell across his forehead. He was wearing a tunic of a dark green material, and his legs were thrust into jack boots. The leather was old, but polished again and again it must have been, for it gleamed with a rich ebony luster. The trousers were piped at the side, and the sleeves of the tunic were braided. Everything bespoke the military man. Here, undoubtedly, was the major. But, and by now the shock of my first great surprise having worn off, my powers of reasoning were coming into play. How? How had he got here? What was he doing here, dressed in that costume of a bygone age? Why, he himself was no contemporary, those side whiskers... Nobody wore them today. Certainly nobody wore them in such profusion. Such was the fashion. How long ago? 1850? 1860? And yet, here was the man himself. And I assure you that nobody could have mistaken the Major for a ghost. He was as substantial as the chair he sat in. He was a living, breathing human being. I expected him at any moment to turn his head and address me. There was a light footfall at the door, and a figure came running into the summer house. It was the child. She stopped abruptly as soon as she saw the Major. Then she turned to me. You see, she said, I told you it was the Major's chair. Somehow I found my voice. Yes, you were quite right, I said. And I waited for the old man to incline his head, to make some movement, some acknowledgement of the sound of our voices. The child must have divined my thoughts, for she said, He can't see or hear us. I told you, he is dead. There was something quite gruesome in this matter-of-fact statement by a slip of a child. When the man in the chair was obviously so very much alive, You're frightened of him, aren't you? said she. I wish you wouldn't be frightened of him. I'm not. And she sat down upon her stool with great composure, and pulling her needlework from her pocket, she bent her head over her task and resumed her sewing. The minutes went by. I was convinced that I was part of a dream. I simply had to prove to myself that I really was awake, that I was alive, that I could exert myself. So I got up. The child said nothing. I walked to the door. The child didn't look up from her work. The Major was still staring into space. I stepped out of the summer house into the sweet-scented garden and drew the fresh air into my lungs in great gulps. 
I was not dreaming then. I walked briskly through the garden to the door of the white cottage. The countrywoman was gathering sweet peas, and her arms were full of flowers. Tell me, I said, how was it that I didn't see your daughter last night? My daughter, sir? I have no daughter. But the little one in the summer house, about seven or eight years old, surely she's your daughter? The woman looked at me with puzzled eyes. Then her expression changed and she laughed. Oh, you've been having a nap down there, sir, she said. You've been dreaming, that's what it is. And the major, I said, what of the major? Major, sir? Again, those puzzled eyes. It's all right, I said. I, I must have been dreaming. Her face cleared again. There's a nice leg of lamb for your midday dinner, sir. I hope you'll be feeling hungry. Yes, rather, I said. Then I'll be picking a bit of mint for the sauce. She smiled and left me standing at the door. On an impulse, I ran back to the summer house. As I'd half expected, it was empty. Well, good evening, my friends. And I hope you enjoyed another short but sinister surprise episode. That was the radio play, The Man in the Chair. And it came from a very obscure radio series called Is There a Ghost in the House? Wasn't able to find out much about this particular series. But this was first performed on June 20th, 1963. And um, my apologies for last week's surprise episode, Late Night Story, The Photograph. It wasn't until after I posted the podcast that I realized I had already featured this on the episode short but spine chilling but what can I say the last few weeks with the cold my brain was in the fog so forgive me and with that being said good evening my friends (laughs) and welcome to another episode of terror radio podcast if this is your first time joining me then welcome this is a podcast dedicated and bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I am your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and this will be the series, excuse me, the season finale of season three. And I will be taking a two-week hiatus, but I will be back on March 30th with the brand new season of your favorite radio shows as well as more original stories and audio scripts. Again, I want to thank you all for your support. Tonight's episode, we're going to have fun. I'm calling this PEST. P-E-S-T-S. (laughs) So, 
without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are Quiet Please and The Mysterious Traveler. Our first radio play is called Tanglefoot. And this was first broadcasted on Quiet Please, June 4th, 1949. And then we have the radio play, The Man the Insects Hated. And this was first performed on Mysterious Traveler, July 27th, 1947. So, you all know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights. And listen to Tanglefoot, followed by the man the insects hated. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called Tanglefoot. Back in the old days when GI didn't mean general issue, it just meant galvanized iron. I used to be a plumber. There are no cracks about leaving tools in the shop when you go out on a job. Because if a plumber took along all the tools he's liable to need on a job he don't know nothing about till he gets there, he'd need one of those moving vans to tote them. Just the same, what you can do with a 14-inch Stilson wrench and a mitt full of open, you'd be surprised at. This place where I work, well, you ever smell a plumbing shop? And I tell you what you smell. Open first thing, like creosote. That's what you start with. Linseed oil, that's in the red lead you use on the joints and stuff. You smell a hot lead where the kids melt them down scrap lead into little pigs you can put in your bag. Galvanized iron. Yeah, sure, you can smell galvanized iron. Go find the bins where they keep the L's and the T's and the street L's and the customs and the unions. All sizes. And 14 sizes. You can smell galvanized iron, all right. Yeah, and there's a smell of rats that live back behind the bins. Gasoline burning and the blowtorches and the furnaces. And the thing I remember best of all, the smell of the flypaper. My heavens, there seemed to be flypaper every place. I don't know, maybe in the old days there was more of it or there was more flies or something. Seemed like every place you went, you run into flypaper. Remember that smell? Like varnished with sugar in it, like taffy that's got spoiled. Kind of a fascinating smell in a sicky way. Think about it and you kind of think, yeah, no wonder the flies liked this smell and went for it. Smell? Sure flies can smell. They got smellers that'll make a bloodhound jealous if you know it. And the flies got lots of things. They yeah, got a jillion eyes, six fancy legs, wings. And it trunk like an elephant. Only little there. The boss kiss, they call it. Huh? 
Yeah, not the flies. They can't talk. Boy, how do you break it? I know a lot about flies. I'll tell you about it. I can see it today. There was people living upstairs above the common chapel I worked. That was in the summer of 1915, I guess. Uh, quite a while ago. Their back porch hung over the back porch of the shop. Uh, made kind of a shed where we used to thread pipe, melt scrap lead, stuff like that. And Ricketts, the horse, he used to be tied up back there in the alley with a wagon. When he was working back there, it was quiet and shady and hot. All you could hear was Ricketts stamping his feet and switching his tail at the flies and maybe the food of a gasoline furnace. Whoever he was working with talking kind of lazy and slow in the heat. Oh, boy, was it hot. I and Herbie, we was threading three-quarter-inch black iron pipe. You want the boat excursion tonight, Buck? And what boat excursion? Crawfish Club. Percy Swing tonight. No, I thought it was tomorrow. Well, tonight. Yeah, that's good enough. Get another length of pipe. Hot, ain't it? Ninety-one's a lot of things. In the shade. Oh. Oh. Hot for old out there in the sun. His head's in the shade. What's he hiring about? Flies, I guess. You should put the fly netting on him. Yeah. Look out, don't step in the fly paper. Fly paper every place. That bird chin Katie's nuts about fly paper. Gone stuff. It's all over the place. That's where you're throwing it. You thread up the fly paper. I'll take care of the fly paper. You think with all that stuff around, there wouldn't be so many flies? Flies are smart. How do you mean? Smart. Not fly paper. Fly paper's always full of them. And them's the dumb flies. Smart ones look at it and smell it and fly away. Land on people, horses. Take a bite. Live longer. I wonder how long flies live. Yeah, I don't know. Too long. Any more length of pipe we ain't threaded? Mm-hmm. Here. I wonder what flies think about. Eating? That's what I'm thinking about. What time is it? I got fancy new wristwatch of yours. Busted. Pretty near noon. Then, uh, go home, do you? Go with me? I wasn't here. Heck, you wasn't. Well, <laughs> no flies on you, Buck. Oh, wow. I'll make some ice cream she left for me. Your mom home? No, nah, she went up to Pierre's this morning. P.A. Bedner's got a sale or something. Well, I could stop at Ruins and get some boiled ham or something. We could make sandwiches. Well, we got some. Well, I could get something, though, eating off you. Yeah. Twelve o'clock. Twelve o'clock. Never hearing of things so simple and easy and not meaning nothing. Does that mean anything? Yeah, you get it in a minute. You get a lot of stuff done started that way, though, with shed and pipe and kicking flat paper around and stuff. We had up the ice cream at Herbie's house, sitting in the kitchen, and it was kind of cool. And gosh, I hated to go back to work. 
hate to go back to, but I had like that lay down and take a nap or, or something. <laughs> yeah, break into the canyon. Yeah. Wish that was a fly. Yeah. Go bite break into it. Wow. Only thing that's wrong with him is he's a boss. Flies don't have bosses. That's more I think. Yeah, at least don't your mom. Huh? She don't like that. What you want tomorrow? No, I'm full. Thanks. We can set a couple minutes more. It's only 20 to 1. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about flies. Are you crazy about flies today? Well, I just got to thinking about it. Well, what became your dad? I got to back to that. What happened? I like to get under the full shed. Maybe you handed on yourself. If I had a pet fly. <laughs> You're crazy. I had a pet fly. That's me rope on them. Me and me. Maybe a little bitsy rope you'd have to have. This would be a great big fly. Big as a dog. What kind of a dog? I like that old collar of matches. When I fly that big bite, you'd be ruined. What kind of a fly with a magnifying glass the other day? I've seen one once. Got the meanest looking faces I've ever seen. Great big eyes. Chicken eyes. Look at you from all over. Always washing their faces like a cat. Big Terry Jones. Oh, sure. James. Gee. That big fried should be something. Should be a swell tough one. Look, you could tame him. Oh, I'd tame him all right. Maybe the fry tamer. Be as big and strong as a bull. Have to put a big chain on him. And fly away with you. Maybe I could train him to take me places. Fly, you know. Yeah, you should think him of an educated fly. Fly the smart fly, paper catches, and good old tanglefoot boy. Have to have an awful big piece of tanglefoot to catch yourself for. Ain't got much tanglefoot in the world. Well, ain't no fly like that in the world either. Oh, boy, if I was. Didn't you hear the whistle? Come on, play the one. Yeah. I know what you'd see to fly that big. Have to see them people, I guess. Come on, let's go. Still got flypaper around. 
before. Yeah, let me do it. Oh, got to take off the skin, too? Yeah, squirt me some gasoline on it. I got guck all over me. Ain't been any fly for three weeks. Need more gasoline. I know where there's a fly. Huh? I know where there's a fly. Well, why don't you swat him? Well, two reasons. First, I uh, kind of like this fly. Like him? Raised him from a pup. Herbie. Raised a fly from a pup? Second thing is, you want to swap this fly, you better have a baseball bat. What? This here fly is eight inches long. Huh? Hand me the red lead. How big? Maybe nine. Where are you going? Miss Jennings. What are you calling her for? Miss Jennings, call up the asylum. Probably about a worth of seeing flies nine inches long. Fly just up and killed poor old Teddy. But maybe Teddy was scared to death by the fly first. Because nobody in the whole great big wide world ever seen a fly that was eight, nine inches long. Nobody but first Herbie and then Teddy. And afterwards, me. After me, I'll bat him on the head. He'll come flying up to you. Come flying up. You won't even see his wings. You know how flies' wings is. You can see through them. Maybe he's froze to death. Flies can't stand cold weather. They die. They don't always die. Sometimes they go into what is it, a coma. When they get warm, they come to again. And then they're hungry. Well, I think he's dead. Because we ain't heard about anybody croaking, you know, with a with a mystery. Not since Teddy. Hey, I can still see that dog. Try not thinking about Teddy. Maybe you ought to leave some fly paper around. Big hunks of fly paper. I got fly paper all around the coal bin there where he was. Heavy enough? Oh, it don't have to be so heavy. It lands on a hunk of tangle footed. It'll get all stuck to the hair and hair. Hair on his legs. Fly's got hair on her legs. 
Real hair? More like bristles, uh, like spikes, kind of. He gets fly paper stuck in his legs, his wings. He ain't gonna go skittering around much. Maybe he's dead. Sure hope not. Hope not? Well, I, I kind of like him. Till he ate up Teddy. I'd be just as satisfied if I never get to see him. Yeah, it must be quite a sight, though. Like looking at a fly through a magnifying glass. Sure glad he only got to be eight, nine inches long. Oh, I hate to lose him. I could put him in a circus or, or a sideshow or something. Make a jillion dollars. Take him up to Chicago. People would come from miles and miles around. Yeah, to a zoo just about. Or a museum like that one where is it, New York? Yeah, he was quite a thing. He used to eat mice. I went and caught mice and, and let him have him. I want to see what he'd do to a dead mouse. Oh, thank you kindly. I've seen what he'd done to Teddy. How'd you get him so big, Herbie? Huh? Secret, Buck. And so? I bet if he'd lay an egg. The egg would be bigger. I mean, the pup would be bigger than he was. Slide egg. Bigger than a hen's egg it'd be. Bigger than maybe a turkey egg. Maybe he's dead. Yeah. He comes after me, I'm going to shoot him, my old 12 Ah, oh, you yeah. couldn't hit a balloon with a bull's fiddle. You hit him all right. Hello, Louise. How do you do? Hey, who's that, Buck? I don't know, just moved to town from someplace in Ohio, Iowa, someplace. Louise. Louise McGinty, McKinley, McKinney, something like that. Where'd you know her? Met her at Empire Hall, that dance the other night. What dance? Social Athletic Club. Uh-huh. Night. See you at the shop in the morning. So long. It's cold, ain't it? Yeah, gonna snow. Feels like snow. More busted water pipes. Yeah. Uh, so long, Buck. Say that, uh, at Louise, what's your name? That's something, ain't it? Yeah, I feel like that there type. I like it. Say, uh, Herbie. What? Listen. What? Listen, that... That great big fly of yours. Yeah? On the level now. Is there a great big fly? Huh? Couldn't you just be... Well, I just thought about it all of a sudden. I've never seen this here fly. You mean you think I'm just fooling? I was wondering. I was just making it up. Was you? No. I wasn't making it up. I just wondered. Listen, Buck. I never made that up. Listen, I wished I was. I wish I'd never started making flies grow big. I would have stopped when I got one this big. I wish... I don't know whether to believe you or not. Listen, Buck, when I think what that there fly... Remember way back last summer when we first talked about it? You said, what would you feed a great big fly? Yeah. Remember what you said? What? You said people. People, you said. That's what you'd feed them. Oh. Oh, yeah. Listen, Buck, he already had a dog that we know about. What if he... If he ain't dead by now and all is cold, he must be... Must be what? Hungry. Third of December, 1915. Yeah, seven, six, five, four, three, the third, the night Herbie and me talked like I told you. I remember because on the seventh, the Boy Scouts had a movie at the Capitol Theater. It used to be the standard theater. 
And there was a kid with a bugle blowing it out front. That was the seventh. That was the night Bert Kincaid phoned me up from the shop and Mayor Watson came over from kind of next door and told me Bert was calling me. An hour over, Bert, uh, he said, you and Herbie Butterworth go right away to these people, these McKinney's or McKinney's or McKinney's, whichever it was, because their friend or something was wrong with it and they was hollering and they was freezing. And I should go right on over and Herbie would meet me there. He was already on the way with the rickets and the wagon and the tools. So I said, all right, and I went home and put on my overshoes and my army sweater, and I'm over there. See, the place is only two doors away from where Herbie lived, there by the Garfield School. And that's why he was there already, see? I never even bothered to knock on the door. I just went around to the cellar door with my Coleman lantern, and I come on down, and Herbie was there already, sitting on the cellar steps, so I just about fell over him. I'm not looking very happy. Say, I said, I thought there was freezing to death here in this house with a busted furnace that's not cold down here. It's warm, I said. I fixed it. Huh? I fixed the furnace. The valve was corroded, and I put a new one on, and I fired up. It's all right. Well, what you setting on the cellar stairs for, then, if it's all fixed? What's you setting around here for? Well, I... Why are you looking so crabby about it? Anybody ought to be crabby, it's me. I walked halfway across town. I'm about... What you so crabby about? Huh? She's down here. Who? Louise, you know, the McKinley gal, or whatever her name is. Where? <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's why I ain't welcome to's company. Three's Shut right up. Gonna <laughs> make some time, huh? Shut up, she'll hear you. Where is she? Yeah, went back there in the preserve closet. What for? Gonna bring you a jar of apple butter? The old man makes elderberry wine. <laughs> Got some bottles back there he bought from Ohio or Iowa or whatever it is. Three years old. And I sure like elderberry wine. I know it. Well, I tell you, Kirby, I'm a good guy. I'm your friend, Kirby. Seeing you got everything fixed up, I'll beat it. You don't have to go. I never stood in the guy's way, Kirby. I'll go out into the cold and the snow. Ain't no I'll snow. I'll go right home and read V.C. Allensworth's editorials in the Times, and I'll leave the coast clear for you. You don't have to do that, Buck. Just as soon as I have one drink of elderberry wine. Hmm. Know there was a catch in it. <laughs> now I'll go right away, honest, Kirby. <laughs> hey. You've been telling her about giant flies and things had it out. That thing's dead. I guess if it ever was alive. You got the makings? Got some tailor-made. Nebos? Yeah, much obliged. Ain't you smoking? Nah. What's you doing, making that one? No, well, man probably hit it for herself. You give her a good smacking if you find she's smoking. <laughs> well, we give you a good smacking, too, huh? Why don't you yell at her? The folks will hear upstairs. Louise, shut up. <laughs> hey, Louise, shut up, Buck. Come on, let's go help her, Nix. Louise, you want some help? Buck, the people will hear you. In here? Hey, Louise. I thought maybe you needed some... Louise? Fly 
No, you never did. Herbie and I did. A big, not eight, nine inches long now, down in the hot, stuffy cellar. Two feet long. And fat and kind of loggy it was, dopey, like after you had a big dinner. And Louise, Herbie, he fainted, and I... Back there by the furnace pipes. I could see them eyes. And Jillian eyes. And that trunk like elephant. It kind of buzzed and wiggled its eyes at me and rubbed its face with its... And paused like a cat washing its face after dinner. And I tried to holler, but all I could hear was this buzzing, that's all. And then it kind of stumbled out from the pipes and it jumped and it came right past my face and it, it flew kind of sagging, kind of. Out of the corner of my eye, I seen it. It flew right out into the furnace room and the furnace door was open and the fire...
Tango Foot. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper, and the man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And my friend Kirby was played by Jack Lescouli. As usual, music required, please, is by Albert Berman, and the sound by William J. McClintock. Now for a word about next week's quiet, please. Here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Okay, Bill? Thank you for listening to Quiet, please. We've got a story for you next week. A strange title of The Hat and the Bed and John J. Catherine. The Hat and the Bed and John J. Catherine. Next week. So to next week at the same time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chapel. Broadcasting Company. Mutual presents The Mysterious Traveler. This is The Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip. That it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable. If you can. It's the end of July, and rather warm, isn't it? There's probably an insect or two buzzing around in your living room right this moment, or banging against your screen trying to get in. Before we go any further, you better get rid of it. If you do, you'll breathe easier as you hear the unusual story I have for you today. The story I call... The Man the Insects Hated. My story begins in a homemade laboratory in a crumbling mansion on the edge of a bayou, deep in the heart of the Louisiana swamps. Outside... The air is filled with the strident hum and buzz of insects, uncounted swarms of them crawling and hopping and flying in the hot, lush atmosphere. Inside the laboratory, the air is filled with the same sound as a small man with graying hair lifts a wire insect trap to a table. Listen to them, Mary. How they hate me, every one of them. The flies, the bees, the hornets, the beetles, the locusts, the spiders, they all hate me. Oh, John, they don't hate you. They're just bugs. They can't hate you. Yes, but listen to them hum and buzz when I come near. <laughs> they know me. And the reason they're so upset is that they know that we're enemies. And that I'm going to destroy them. Destroy them utterly. All right, John. <sighs> oh, Mary, you look tired. This life we've been leading the last few months, it's very dreary for you, isn't it? It's all right, John. It doesn't matter. Oh, but it does. These swamps, they must seem like the last outpost of creation to you. You always did love the city and the lights, the movement, the gaiety. I'm all right. You mustn't worry about me. It's only... It's such a struggle. If we had someone to help us, it would be easier. 
But no one will come out here and work for us. Yes, I know, my darling. Believe me, I do. But it's only for a little while. Soon we'll be rich. I promise it. All right, John. I'll be patient. You do believe me, Mary. You know that I'm on the verge of success now, don't you? That last formula, you saw how quickly it killed every insect in the cage? Yes, I know. It was wonderful, John. Yes, and you know yourself what it'll mean to the world. The perfect insect killer, something much better than DDT. Why, it will be tremendous. It will make the worst jungle livable. It'll cut down disease and increase the crops and... There's someone at the door. Yes. That's very odd. I wonder who it could be. I'll see. Perhaps it's Dr. Guernsey or, or Mr. Conway, the druggist. They promised to call. Good morning. Is Professor Hansen in? But... Why, yes, he is. Come in quickly. There's so many flies. Yeah. Seems like the air is full of bugs outside. Never saw so many in my life. What is it, Mary? It's uh, someone to see you, John. I don't know who. Andrews, the name, Professor. Martin Andrews. Say, you really are out in the wilds here, aren't you? Thought I'd never find you. Yes, we are rather isolated, but... Uh... You're wondering who I am and what I want here. The truth is, I was in Conway's drugstore back in town, and he told me you might be able to use a handyman. Oh, a handyman. Yes, we can use a handyman. How much do you want? Oh, not very much. I guess 25 bucks a week would do me. We can manage that, I think. But on second thought, I don't know. I'm not crazy about these swamps with all these bugs around and... Oh, please, try it anyway, Mr. Andrews. My husband is engaged on some very important research, and he needs help badly. Oh. Well, when you put it like that, Mrs. Hanson... Then you will stay. Yeah, I'll stay. <laughs> what have I got to lose? Maybe I'll like it better than I thought at first. Excellent, Mr. Andrews, excellent. Oh, just call me Martin, Professor. Uh, uh, yes, Martin, yes. Now, there are a lot of details that you can help me with. Uh, now, take this watch and... Uh... Lunch will be ready in a minute. Oh, yes, my dear, yes. Uh, take this watch, Martin, and uh, you see this wire trap full of insects? Yeah. There must be thousands of bugs in there. There are. You see, I'm working to discover the perfect insect exterminator. Oh, yeah, I see. Yes, and in this spray gun, I have my latest solution, Formula 312. And I'm going to spray it just once at this trap full of insects, and you are to time how long it takes them all to die. You're going to kill all those bugs with just one squirt from that sprayer? <laughs> I hope so. And they know it, too. Listen to them hum. <laughs> how they hate me. They know I'm going to kill them, and they, they wish they could get free to kill me. Huh? Oh, yes. Yes, they know me. Insects hate me. All insects, just as I hate them. They'd kill me if they could, but instead I'm going to kill them. <laughs> Have you got your eye on the watch? What? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Then start timing. Now, watch and listen. Say, that stuff really mows them down, Professor. Yes, they're dying now. A few of them are still trying to crawl around, but uh, there they go. Now, how long did it take? Uh, 29 seconds. It's good, but not quite good enough. But I'm sure I'm on the right track. Lunch is ready, John. Oh, yes, my dear, yes, we're coming. 
Well, uh, Martin, do you think you're going to like working here, helping me develop my new insect killer? Yes, sir, Professor. I've got an idea it's going to be a lot more interesting here than I ever imagined. Some more coffee, John? Thank you, my dear. No, I want to go back to the lab to try a new formula. And um, while I'm mixing it, why don't you show Martin around the place? Why, That's I... a swell idea, Professor. I'd like to get wise to just what you're doing here. But I'm sure that John could show you around and explain everything better than I could. No, 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 not at all, Mary. And besides, you know how I feel about going outdoors. Well, all right, John. If you want me to. Fine. I'll get started on the new mixture right away, and uh, when you're through, I'll have something for you to do, Martin. Okay, Professor. Well, Mrs. Hanson, I'll be obliged to you if you'll give me the lowdown on everything. Well, all right, Martin. There are things that you really should know, so... That's how it is, huh? Mm-hmm. The professor is hipped on the subject of bugs and wants to rid the world of them. <laughs> and he thinks they all know it and hate him, huh? <laughs> oh, that's a hot one. <laughs> the bees and the mosquitoes and the flies. They all got it in for him, huh? <laughs> you mustn't laugh. I know it's a strange quirk of his mind, but it's a harmless one. And you must pretend not to notice anything odd about it. Okay, Mrs. Hanson, if you say so. You see, when he was a small boy, my husband was almost stung to death by a swarm of bees. That brought on his peculiar hatred of all insects and his belief that they hate him. Mm, sure, I can see how that'd be. And that's the reason why all his life he's been experimenting to find the perfect insect exterminator. It's screwy, but if he does find this perfect bug killer, it'll pay off big. Oh, he will find it. I'm sure of it. That's why I'm willing... I mean, I, I'm sure he will. You were going to say that's why you're willing to stay here in this swamp because you think he'll find this bug killer and make a lot of money from it, huh? Well, that's the truth, ain't it, Mrs. Hanson? I... You're being impertinent. The first time I looked at you, I could see you weren't meant for a life like this. You were meant for pretty clothes and soft music, dancing, fun. Not for rotting away in a swamp that's only fit for bugs... You mustn't talk like that. I've got to go back to the house. No, no, not yet. Listen, the minute I stepped inside that house, I knew you were eating your heart out all for fun and people and pretty things. I don't know what you're talking about. Let go of my wrist. Not yet. Listen, I'm no handyman. I know how to make money when I want to. It's just good luck that brought me here. My good luck. There's meant to be something between us. I knew that the second you opened the door this morning. You're crazy. Let me go. Sure, I'll let you go. There. Well, why don't you run away from me now that you can? You mustn't say things like that. You mustn't. But I already have, and I will again. You weren't meant to be married to a dotty old dodo like the professor... You were meant to live. And I'm going to hang around here until I prove it to you. Uh, 
And so Martin Andrews joined a strange household in the swamps, the household where Professor Hansen plotted death for the insect world. Mary suggested to him that it had been a mistake to hire Martin so hastily without investigating his background. But her husband pooh-poohed her arguments, and she was silent. Knowing she could not explain that she was both frightened and fascinated by a man whom she'd seen for the first time that day. So Martin stayed, and in the days that followed, Professor Hansen found him invaluable. With his help, the work went much more quickly. And daily, as the work progressed, the number of insects swarming about the house increased, buzzing and humming ominously as though news of the professor's success was spreading throughout the whole swamp. Then one morning in the laboratory... Time, Martin. Exactly 15 seconds, Professor. 15 seconds and every insect in the trap is dead. We've done it, Martin. Mary! Mary! Yes, John? What is it? Mary, we've done it. At last I found the formula that will kill any insect known almost instantly. Oh, John! Oh, I'm so glad. Yes, Formula 3973. Here it is. Just a few marks on this piece of paper. But it's man's final victory over the insect world. Ha! <laughs> Listen to the bugs outside. Hum, Professor. Yes. They sound almost like they knew what you'd done. Oh, yes, they do know. But they're helpless. They're beaten and they know it. Yes. Now I've got to write a note to Dr. Guernsey and Mr. Conway. Uh, Martin, wait here for me. Yes, yeah, sure, Professor. Martin, what are you doing with that formula? Just putting it in my pocket where it'll be safe. You know how the professor is, always losing things. Give it to me, please. I'll take care of it. No, I think I'd better hold on to it. But I have something else for you. No. Let me go. Let go of me. Ever since I... that first day. And I've been waiting. Till you know as well as I do that we were meant for each other. You must say such things. You do know it, don't you? No. No, Maybe this will convince you. Oh, Martin. Oh, Martin. Now you know it. Don't you? Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm crazy, I suppose, but I can't help it. You've got to go away, Martin. Now, today. You are crazy if you think I'm going without you. Oh, here comes the professor. We'll talk about it later. Martin, here's a note from Mr. Conway, the druggist. I've asked him to come out with Dr. Guernsey tomorrow night. Will you drive into town and deliver it to him, please? Sure, Professor. I'd be glad to. Right away. Come in, Martin, quickly. Oh, my, your clothes are covered with insects. Here, stand still a minute. I'll get rid of them. There. It takes care of that. How in the world did so many get on you? When I got out to open the garage door, they were crawling all over it. They dropped onto me. I couldn't knock them off. John! Oh, John! Yes, Mary? John! John, there there are ants in the kitchen. A whole swarm of giant black ants. They're monsters. Giant ants in the kitchen? How did they get in? I don't know, but they're there. And more coming all the time. Never mind. We'll take care of them. Come on, Martin. Bring the spray gun. Right. They mustn't get into the house. I won't let them. They want to get at me, but they're not going to. There they are, John. All over the floor. These giant ants. The floor's black with them. And look at them come this way toward me. They know who I am. Quick, Martin. Use the spray. Yes, Professor. This will fix them. Ah. Look at them turn up their toes. Yes. Yeah. 
That finishes them. But how in the world did they get in? I thought I'd made this house insect-proof. Here are some more, coming through this hole in the woodwork. I'll take care of them. Now I'll plug up the hole. No more will come in that way. They're such big ants. I've never seen any that big before. And they were after me. But we've taught them a lesson. Professor, you've almost convinced me you're right. About the bugs hating you, I mean. What are you saying? It's the truth. You never saw so many bugs in your life as there are outside right now. When I got back from town, I could hardly see the house for the beetles and the flies and the hornets that are buzzing around it. And a couple of times, the car ran over columns of ants so thick I thought they were going to clog the wheels. Columns heading this way. Is that so? I must go over to the window and see for myself. Yes, good heavens, the screen is so covered with insects I can't see out. I'll give them a dose of your bug killer. That'll make them move on. Yeah, that cleared them off. Now, take a look outside, Professor. Did you ever see anything like that in your life? <gasps> oh! Good Lord, the sky is black with insects. Look at that swarm over the trees. Flying beetles, wasps, bees, loco... I can't identify them all. Yeah, and just listen to them. Listen to that song of hate. Don't say that. It, it's just a natural phenomenon. These swamps breed insects by the millions. Yeah, yeah, I know. And every one of those millions is headed right for this spot. But that's ridiculous. No, it's not. All the way to town, I didn't see a single bug. Because they're all gathered right around here, right around this house. You mustn't say that. He's right. They know what's happening here, and they want to stop me. No, John, no. If you want my advice, the thing to do is make up all the Formula 397 we can. If those bugs ever get into this house, we're going to need it. As the day wore on, the clouds of insects surrounding the old mansion in the swamps grew steadily bigger. At times, the house was almost hidden by the black swarms of tiny creatures flying and crawling over it, as if they really were trying to force their way inside. But only a few did get into the house through unnoticed cracks, but as night came on... John. Yes? John, the lights won't go on. They won't? No, look. Her fuse must have blown out. I'll go take a look, Professor. I have the flashlight. Thank you, Martin. I'll only be a minute. Listen to them, Mary. Listen to them swarming about the house, beating against the screens, trying to get in at me. Oh, John, they're just insects. They don't hate you. They don't. Well, then where have they come from? Why are they surrounding this house? Answer me that. Oh, I don't know. Martin agrees with me. He said so this afternoon. You mustn't pay any attention to Martin. Listen to them, if they could get in, we'd be dead in 15 minutes. There's death we hear humming and buzzing out there, Mary. Professor! Oh. Uh, professor! Yes, what is it? Did you find the trouble? Yes, it's in the switch box, all right. All the fuses are blown out. All of them? But how? The switch box is full of little beetles. I don't know where they came from, but they caused a short circuit that blew out all the fuses. They did it on purpose. Oh, John! Well, anyway, we'll be using candles tonight. And there's another thing. What, Martin? The cellar is full of little white ants. I couldn't find out where they're coming from. White ants? Not ants, Martin. Those are termites. Well, termites, then. They're all over everything. Termites? They can eat their way through wood. They can eat holes that the other insects can enter through. Yeah. That's right, isn't it? Martin, come on. Get two insect sprays. 
We've got to get down there and destroy them before they destroy us. Billions of bugs out there. Crickets, bees, flies, hornets, wasps, ants, every kind of insect there is. It's a good thing you put tight screens on this house. Yeah. What is it, Mary? Uh, I thought I felt the house shake then. Ah, oh, don't let your imagination get you. I didn't feel anything. No, no, no. You must keep control of your nerves. I suppose I imagined it then. Oh, John, it's almost midnight. Are they ever going to go away? Maybe not. If the professor's right and they're after him, they'll just hang around until we starve to death or until they get in and finish us off. Oh, Martin, stop it. Martin is right. We've used up all the Formula 397, and if they ever do get into the house, we're doomed. I was just thinking that myself. We have got to get help. Go out of the house? Yes. Oh, oh no, John. Not all of us. But maybe if I were to take the car and make a dash for town, they might follow me. John, that's madness. In this sedan, with all the windows shut, they couldn't get at me, and in town I could get help. Yeah, yeah, you could. I could make up more Formula 397 at Conway's drugstore, and he and Dr. Guernsey can come back with me. And if we used a big pumper spray, we could destroy every insect that's outside. No! You mustn't try it. It sounds like a good idea to me. I'd go, only I couldn't mix the formula. No, John, you mustn't go out. Yes, I'm going to do it. If those ants ever get at the car, they'd cut the tires to shreds, and then we would be at their mercy. I've got to go for help while I can. Then let's all go. We can all get in the car. It'd be safer to stay here. This house will hold them off for a good while yet. I think the professor's scheme is the best. All right, Martin. Now, I'll get ready, and then you come downstairs and help me with the garage doors, and you're going to have to open and shut them awfully fast when I take the car out. Despite Mary's protests, Professor Hansen carried out his plan. With the car tightly closed, the motor racing, Martin flung open the garage doors. The car shot out into the night, the headlights showing great swarms of flying insects in its path. Then Martin swiftly closed and bolted the door again and hurried upstairs. Well, he's gone. Oh, why did you let him go? That ought to be obvious. What do you mean? I didn't let him go. I made him go. I put the whole idea in his mind so he'd go off and leave us alone here. Oh, no. Sure I did. I'm a bright boy. From now on, it's going to be just you and me and fun. What are you saying? John isn't going to come back from his little trip to town. I don't understand. No, I'll make it simple. In the first place, all those bugs outside don't mean a thing. When I was in town this morning, Conway the druggist told me it happens out here every seven years or so. There's something about the way the wind blows that makes millions of bugs come out of the swamp to swarm around this house in certain years. Oh, but then why did you pretend to believe, John, when he said it was because they were after him? Just so as he'd go to town for help. Those bugs are harmless. As soon as the wind shifts, they'll be gone. But then... Right this minute, John's driving to town as fast as he can go. And any second now, the steering gear is going to bust. Martin. No. Yes, baby, because I fixed it to. And when that steering wheel goes, it'll be curtains for John. The car will hit a tree, and you'll be free to marry me. We'll have Formula 397 and all the dough it'll bring in. 
That's murder. No, it isn't murder. It's being smart. You've murdered John. And I'm guilty, too. Because I didn't make him send you away. Oh, you never really wanted me to go. I ought to loathe you. And myself, too, but... But I... But you don't. No, Martin. I don't. That's more like it, baby. We'll always be together. Always. Forever, Martin. We... Martin! Huh? Something's happening. What? The house. It's, it's shaking. Oh, we've got to get out of here. The house oh. is caving in. It's barely click. Grab hold of me. Come on now, before... Look out! Conway, can't you drive faster? We must get back to the house. I'm driving as fast as I can, Professor. Professor, you must control yourself. That was a serious accident you were in. It's a miracle you weren't killed. Sure was. Where your car hit that tree, well, I'm just glad it wasn't me. Yes, 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 but please drive faster. I should never have allowed you to return to your home with us. You should be in a hospital. But, Doctor, my wife and Martin, I've got to save them. Those insects, they hate me. They're out to destroy all of us. They'll kill my wife and Martin if we don't get there in time. Professor, you must calm yourself. I'm sure it isn't as serious as all that. Oh, Doctor, you're like everyone else. You don't know how dangerous the insect world is, but I know, and that's why they hate me, and that's why they're out to destroy me and my wife and Martin. Well, we're almost there. The house is just around this bend in the road. Yes, but please hurry. You mustn't slow down. Professor, I've got to take this curve slow. After all, we don't want no more... Good Lord. <gasps> the house. It's collapsed. They've wrecked it. I told you they were out to get me. Now, come quickly. We must find my wife and Martin. Uh, come along, Conway. This looks bad. Yes, Doctor. Mary! Mary, where are you? Mary, answer me. Conway, you'd better start looking through the wreckage. Okay, Doctor. Mary! Mary, where are you? Oh, Lord, I've never seen so many bugs in all my life. If we'd only had more of my Formula 397, we could kill all of them. All of them! But they won't get the better of me. They won't. Professor, what are you doing? There isn't any spray in that gun. It's empty. I'll show them. I'll show them. Doctor. Doctor. I found them. They're under the wreckage of the house. Oh, you'd better take me to them, Conway. Perhaps we can... It's too late, Doc. They're both dead. Dead? They're dead? Yes, Professor. They were killed by falling timbers when the house collapsed. No. No! It wasn't the falling timbers that killed them. It was the insect world that killed them. They tried to destroy me, and instead they murdered Mary. And now they're trying to break me down. But I won't let them. I won't let them. I've got my formula. Formula 397. This spray will destroy them all. Yes. Yes. They're dying. Left and right. They're dying. You see? Doc, what, what's wrong them? with them? That, that spray gun's empty. Hey, yes, Conway, I know. I'm afraid he's completely mad. The insect world has destroyed his mind.
This is the mysterious traveler again. And how did you enjoy our visit with the man the insects hated? Too bad about poor Professor Hansen, wasn't it? Yes, they found he'd gone completely mad, and in his madness had completely forgotten his newly discovered Formula 397, which would destroy all insects. Oh, what happened to the copy of the formula which Martin had stolen? Well, strangely enough, when Martin's body was removed from the wreckage, the formula was not in his pockets. Some people say that the insects... Oh, you have to get off here. I'm sorry. But I'm sure we'll meet again. I take this same train every week at the same time. just heard The Mysterious Traveler, a series of dramas of the strange and terrifying. In today's story, the cast included Maurice Toplin, Eric Dressler, Helen Shields, and Robert Dryden. Original music was played by Gene Perazzo. The Mysterious Traveler is written, produced, and directed by Bob Arthur and David Cogan. Listen next week to a tale titled, I Dream of Dying. Another strange and terrifying tale of the mysterious traveler. The mysterious traveler has come to you from our New York studios. Carl Caruso speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Well, that's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror 1970 or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1 and if you want to drop me a line say hello make a request a suggestion a even a critique please feel free to email me at Radio Show Nerd at gmail.com again this is the series I always want to say series This is the season finale. I will be back on March 30th with a brand new exciting season. I will still continue to post new videos on my YouTube page on Saturday for my segment, Sinister Saturday. Please check it out. Subscribe. Like the videos. Highly appreciated. Again, this is your host, Keith a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, saying so long for now, but I will be seeing you soon. Thanks, everybody.